Welcome along to 20 Minute Topic. I'm Marcus Stead and I'm joined as usual by veteran campaigner and blogger Greg Lance Watkins. The Covid vaccine has arrived and it'll be rolled out to the population within days. But should you have it? How safe is it? And what level of immunity from the virus will it give you? We've got a lot to discuss. Do stay with us. Well, first of all, I should say at the outset what we're not doing here. Neither Greg nor I is a conspiracy theorist. We are not anti-vaxxers. We have got no time for those sort of online conspiracy theorists. If that is what you are looking for, you have come to the wrong place. The second thing to point out is that all of us in our lives benefits from vaccines. We enjoy a higher standard of living and much better health because of vaccines. Meningitis, measles, pneumonia, polio, rabies, yellow fever. The list of illnesses that are suppressed because of vaccines is huge. The world would be a lot less populated and we'd be much less traveled without vaccines. The fact that only one infectious disease has been eliminated, and that's smallpox, shows how difficult it is to defeat microbes. But vaccines have saved and extended the lives of hundreds of millions of people. And we shouldn't underestimate that in the tone we take in this discussion. And I think, Greg, from the outset, in in terms of the good news we've had in the last couple of weeks, informed consent is the key. I would agree with you. Um, I would like to remind um, all those who are followers or new to the channel uh, that we have been saying from the very beginning that a vaccine is a little bit of a dream. Uh, in this situation because we have never come up with a vaccine that is 100% successful with a mutating virus. And the coronavirus, uh, whether in previous mutations or in the current COVID-19 mutation, of which there have, we understand, been between three and four separate mutations since December last year, is no different to any other mutating virus in terms of vaccine. It will need to be tweaked on a regular basis, sometimes successfully, sometimes not as successfully. But when it comes to conspiracy theories, it is a vaccine. We understand how vaccines work. We understand what we're doing with them. And never has anyone been able to record any kind of adverse reaction that has been provably due to a vaccine. It is possible to be allergic to the albumin in which vaccines are usually carried. That means you're effectively allergic to the white of egg. Beyond that, not a problem. Nonsense about autism and every other goddamn thing are little more than nonsense. Well, I think the the case about autism and the one that really sticks in my mind was the Andrew Wakefield MMR conspiracy, which ran for much of the 2000s. And actually, one of the journalists who peddled that, because the the thing was measles, mumps, rubella, there's the joint MMR vaccine, which is the norm, which is what most young children now have. And this doctor, Andrew Wakefield, and he was saying, ah, look, there's a link between MMR and autism. And the journalist, Peter Hitchens, took that up as a cause and ran it for years and years. Why won't they allow children to have um, the three separate vaccines and, and everything like that, measles, bumps, rubella separately? 
And then some years ago now, um, Andrew Wakefield's theories and indeed his medical practice in general was proven to be utterly discredited. What I think would have helped is if Peter Hitchens had said at the time that you know, he'd been taken for a ride on this in effect and that everything he'd written on the subject had now been discredited. What he actually did is he went very quiet and I think that discredited him as a journalist and in light of what he's been saying this year where he has been pretty damn close to being a conspiracy theorist by playing down the significance of the virus, even though a former colleague of his, Derek Draper, with whom he used to present the Sunday morning show every week on the old talk radio, uh, grilled on both sides it was called, Derek Draper, the husband of Kate Garraway, has been for many months now in a coma. We don't know what sort of recovery he's ever likely to make because he's got COVID. So these sorts of conspiracies, Greg, I think are very, very dangerous. I think it's very irresponsible of those who are peddling them, particularly from positions of um, quasi-authority. Hmm. This should be a mark of shame to Peter Hitchens. He is quite right that this particular mutation of the coronavirus has not been as virulent as it might well have been. Hmm. For instance, in this country, I believe the figure is under 50 individuals under the age of 40 years of age have died of it. Hmm. Yes, but over 60,000 have died of it. At the moment, it is not actually killing the young. Well, you say that, Greg, you say that, you say that, there's a caveat to this. You know, I gave the example in one of our earlier podcasts of a football match I attended on January the 2nd this year, um, Swansea City against Charlton Athletic. And I sat with the Charlton Athletic fans with a friend of mine who's supported them for many years. And he pointed out to me in the concourse before the match, he said, you see that young man over there? He said, he hasn't missed a Charlton Athletic match for 22 years. And that young man's name, he was what, 37, 38 years of age. His name was Seb Lewis. In about April of this year, Seb, um, who's a Charlton Athletic anorak, uh, he was tweeting about them all the time. He said, I've, I've been admitted to hospital with COVID. Uh, I might not tweet for a few days. They're going to put me into an induced coma. See you shortly. Well, very sadly, Seb died um, a few days after that. Now, it's easy to say, oh, it's only 40, only 40 odd people. Well, when it's a secondhand friend of yours, a friend of a friend, in effect, then it becomes all too real. And you, you don't just dismiss these things. This is a very real thing. And that means whether it's 40, whether it's 4,000, whether it's 40,000, these are grieving families and real human beings. And I don't like the way some people are arbitrarily dismissing this as an irrelevance. It's not. These are real people. Seb Lewis had asthma and he was on the autism spectrum. But he had no serious underlying health conditions. These are real human beings, Greg. That's what I'm saying. Oh, I totally agree with you. And I've said that all along. One is too many. However, the pragmatic reality is that the young have seen the fact that very few in their age group are killed by this disease. And we see again and again utterly irresponsible behaviour from them that is me-centric, i.e. it doesn't really worry me because I'm not likely to die of it. Well, where, that logic, where that logic falls apart, isn't it, is that, okay, there's those who foolishly, in my view, say, oh, we shield the elderly and the vulnerable and let everyone else get on with their lives. But hang on a minute. 
who looks after the elderly in care homes. It's the young and the middle-aged, the, the, the staff who work there. Yeah. Well, what do they do in their spare time? They go to pubs, they go to restaurants, and even if you say to them, look, curtail that activity somewhat because of the job you do, they're still going to go to supermarkets and so forth, uh, inevitably, and they're going to be in queues at bus stops, that kind of thing. So there's no way by saying, oh, shield the most vulnerable, let everybody else get on with their lives. That doesn't work for those obvious reasons. But going back to where we are now in terms of the vaccine, I think, or vaccines, I think we should use the, the plural in this because of where we're going, Drug companies must be exemplary in the way they release data about vaccines. Integrity is so, so important in all this because the UK Statistics Authority recently criticised the government, not the drug companies, but the government, for making overblown claims about testing capacity, not being transparent in its data, and getting the slides wrong at those media conferences they hold. So it's that word again, Greg, integrity. It's so important in building public confidence and getting informed consent among the mainstream population. I agree with you and it's very difficult to get informed consent when you have idiots in newspapers sabotaging the information for their own personal promotion or idiots in politics politicking the information to make themselves seem important. Stuff shirts stuffing completely erroneous data out. This is, in my opinion, criminally irresponsible. And may I remind the young who may be tempted not to wear masks, not to socially distance, and to behave in the manner that we saw happened on Saturday outside Harrods, where Hans Crescent was jammed with people and not a mask in sight, all cheek by jowl, all under about 35. This is just totally irresponsible, particularly when they will be the first to bleat that if the next mutation comes along and, like Spanish flu, kills the young rather than the old, they will be more than a little hacked off if the elderly decide not to pay attention to the rules and end up killing lots of the young. Well, I think in terms of public consent, in terms of behaviour, we think back to where we were in the spring and the initial heavy lockdown, if you like. And then I think where general consent among the population lost its way was when the Black Lives Matter protests happened in the early part of summer, around about June time, where we saw people gathering in close numbers outside the Edward Colston statue in Bristol or outside the Cenotaph in London. And there people thought, well, hang on. If a blind eye is being turned to the behavior of these so-called activists who are protesting about something they don't really understand that happens thousands of miles away in any case, then why on earth wasn't I allowed to go and visit my grandmother? Why wasn't I allowed to hold the hand of a terminally ill relative as they lay dying? Why wasn't I allowed to attend the funeral of somebody I cared about? So when you see these contradictions in the way decent people weren't allowed or, or weren't allowed to and also were willingly willing to make sacrifices in the name of not spreading the virus, and they saw the lenient way in which the government and the authorities handled these woke protesters over Black Lives Matter. I think that's when the breakdown in relationship between the public and the authorities in this country really began in the early summer. But getting us back on track in this discussion, in terms of helping people to help themselves, there is some evidence uh, that eating well, staying physically fit and taking a vitamin D supplement may well help lower the risks of you coming to harm from COVID if you get it. So that's something people can do to help themselves. But insofar as the vaccine goes, 
the logistics of it and the way in which it's prioritized, this is going to be, frankly, a nightmare to roll out because the vaccine that's been approved for use among the British population has to be stored in a very, very low temperature. So it's not just a case of putting it in a standard fridge or I, as I understand it, and you can correct me on this if I've got it wrong, Greg, but my understanding of it is that they're in containers at minus 70 degrees. You can put them in a standard fridge, but if you do, they've got to be used within about five days before the thawing starts, if you like, and the containers they're kept in lose their efficiency. Have I understood that correctly? Largely. Um, liquid nitrogen will provide the temperature you want. Uh, that's um, better known to most people as dry ice, uh, which is when you open the cylinder, you will get an evaporation cloud of ice uh, crystals out of that cylinder because it is so cold, it freezes the air around it. And you can move that four times and not more before you start to risk damaging the efficacy of the vaccine. So it does take specialist handling. Most major medical surgeries in this country, hospitals, a lot of private doctors who have large surgeries have the ability to handle this. However, we have bought 800,000, I believe, doses of this. Uh, we have political alarmists claiming that we may not get them because they're coming from Europe. Uh, we will get them. They are being manufactured not by Europeans, but by an American company who happens to have a manufacturing plant in Belgium. They will not be affected by the outcome of Brexit, despite what some self-centered, stupid and irresponsible politicians are saying. So let's be absolutely clear about this, because this is very important indeed. We don't yet know whether there will be a Brexit deal we will know within a few days. It may well be by the time this podcast is published, there has been some sort of announcement on that. But what you're saying is that there is no doubt in your mind that if there is a no-deal situation and the transporting of goods from continental Europe to this country and vice versa, there is an issue there. You're saying that this vaccine will get through regardless. Is that what you mean? In my opinion, there will be no problem. I don't think the Americans would tolerate it. Pfizer have a lot riding on this. They are supplying the drug, not Belgium. It just happens to be coming from Pfizer's plant in Belgium. So in terms then of prioritizing, because this is a huge task, and well, time will tell how many people actually have the vaccination and those who are taken in by conspiracies and so forth. But in terms of rolling out, we, you've just accurately explained their, the, the logistical problems with storage. And once they're in those refrigerators, they have to be used within about five days. Who should be prioritized and who do you think will be prioritized? Because this is a process taking many months. We, we know that the elderly are going to be top of the list, regardless of their health conditions and key workers. What do you think the pecking order should be? I think immediately it's not the elderly we need to give the... Uh, vaccine to the most important are care workers who are hands-on care workers who are in a position that they can be transferring the disease from one elderly person to another. Now those first doses that we get through firstly 
will take seven to 14 days after you have had the injection to have some efficacy. And 21 days after you've had the injection, you have another dose that is within 14 days going to push up your immunity to 92 to 95 percent. Now that must go to care workers who are hands-on with the elderly primarily. That does not, if you start looking at the numbers involved, because however many doses we administer, half of that is half of the figure because it's two doses. So if it's 100,000 that we're administering in a given period of time, that is only enough for 50,000 people. Sounds a lot, but it's not many when you come to think how many people are hands-on care workers with the elderly. So it will, won't be a magic bullet that solves the problem by the end of December. That just isn't going to happen. In fact, nothing like that is going to happen. We need to establish a large body of the population having had the inoculation and then we need to go through the process of administering it to that large number of people before we have any degree of herd immunity and that is not going to happen until possibly as late as this time next year. Yes, we got, I think we've got to keep our expectations realistic and that we're looking at a process of many months here at the very least. And the other thing we really don't know is what time span of immunity having this vaccination buys you. We just don't know the answer to that. In the short time we've got left, um, and I want to address these points very briefly because we are up against it with the clock here, you and I are not going down the road of conspiracy theories here at all. Anti-vaxxers are dangerous people, but there are two accusations that I think need addressing. The first is that governments, health services, health professionals, drug companies have a history of covering up medical scandals and may do so again. And for this reason, support for whistleblowers, full disclosure of data, and the release of trial results only after they have been independently verified is vital. And the second is the conspiracy that COVID-19 vaccinations are a plot by the big pharmaceutical companies and scientists to make money needs to be addressed. Now, Pfizer chairman Albert Bourla sh scheduled the sale of 130,000 shares on the day we learned that the vaccine was 90% effective. The chief corporate affairs officer, Sally Sussman, also cashed in on her shares that day. Sir Patrick Vallance, England's chief scientific advisor, we see him a lot on the television, used to work for the drug company GSK, and he still holds shares in them. He could profit from GSK vaccines if they're proven to be successful. Potential conflicts of interests are there, and for that reason, openness and transparency are absolutely essential in this, in keeping the public on side. Your thoughts on those two matters very briefly, please. If I held shares in Pfizer at the moment, I would sell them at this stage to maximize the profit. I would wait two or three weeks because the share price is likely to fall back once the first rush has gone through. And I would probably buy back in in order to go on holding. It's how you gamble. Put your money on the color or the number and watch the wheel spin. 
I don't have a problem with people making a profit. They put in the money, they gambled the money at the risk of losing it all to make it possible. If they get lucky, that was what it was all about and it is the inspiration for others to get involved. Anybody who is working on a dishonest form, a fraudulent form, or a corrupt form of investment, we have plenty of laws in place to lock them up. My thanks to Greg. My thanks to you for listening. Please avoid online conspiracy theories. Please do not spread misinformation. This is a time for logic and reason and informed consent. That's what this is all about. So continue to stay safe. Continue to behave in a sensible way. Continue to wear masks in public. Continue to socially distance. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening.